Amen. Aren't you glad this morning that we can sing about the resurrection and victory that we have through Christ even after Easter? You think about our spiritual victory that we have, it's not a victory we can lose. You know, in mankind, in our world today, when you win a victory, whether it's on a football team, a basketball team, uh, you have to go out and win it again, don't you? Just because you win one doesn't mean you've won it all. You have to go back and play another game or play another round and continually win. But aren't you glad when Christ rose from the grave, he won victory for us not only for that day, but if you've put your faith and trust in Christ for all eternity. And boy, that's something to think about this morning. Good to see you here today. Like Brother Nate said, it is good to see folks who seem like you're excited about being in church today, and that's always a good thing. Remember, the more you smile, the quicker I preach. And so let's jump into it this morning if we could. Acts chapter number 26. Acts chapter number 26. I do hope you had a great Easter weekend, and uh, I imagine our kids are probably still chewing on some of that candy, if I had to guess, as many eggs as they had. There were dozens and dozens of eggs out there in each basket. Kids' arms were full, and no one found the $1,000, all right? Uh, I need to clarify that. No one found the $1,000. I told them when they're out there, I said, if anybody finds $1,000, that will be the only one that's there. I didn't say there was. I just said if you were to find one. And boy, everybody was asking, where's the $1,000? Uh, evidently, we forgot to put it in. I'll get with Brother Nate on that next year. Acts chapter number 26. Let's stand together as we look down to verse 19. We're going to jump into the middle of a story or an account this morning. The Apostle Paul virtually giving his testimony before Festus and Agrippa. It's amazing to me that the Apostle Paul always maintained his Christian poise and the calling, the poise that he had with his calling, even being arrested and brought before trials, he always sought opportunity to share his testimony of Christ. Let that be a lesson to us this morning. No matter where we are and what we're going through, let's always be conscious to take the opportunities, good or bad, to share our testimony of Christ. And here he is before Agrippa. He shared his testimony. You notice the red letters between verse 14 and 18 of how Christ saved his soul. And now we're picking up as he's preaching to them that they should follow suit. The Bible says, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. What a blessing that is. Amen. Having therefore obtained help from God, of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did, uh, did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Look at verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. Now watch verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me. 
to be a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and all together such as I am, except these bonds. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to be in your house again today. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful singing. Thank you for the great spirit. Now, Father, as we get to the part of the service, Lord, where we need to hear from you, I pray you would help us now, Lord, to set aside the cares of our hearts, cares of the world, things that may distract us. I pray you'd help us not to be a distraction today. Help us, Father, not quench the spirit by not being obedient to how you may lead us today. I pray our hearts would be open now. Help us receive your word. Help us respond to it. If there's one here today, Father, who's not sure that they're saved, they're not sure that heaven's their home, if they died right now, they're not sure they would go to heaven. Lord, I pray you'd help them to be saved today. Lord, help them to know it. Help them to come down, Lord, and receive Christ, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I grew up in the 1980s, and uh, I thought the 1980s were quite plain, to be honest with you. I didn't think we had a whole lot of fashion to be excited about. You folks grew up in the 60s. Wow, you had fashion, you know, bell bottoms and tie-dye and things along that line. But I grew up in the 80s and thought it was somewhat of a simple era, uh, and yet my daughter has been sharing with me how much she loves about the 80s, and of course, mom and dad don't mind sharing with her the wonderful things about the 80s as well. But I grew up in a time in America where uh, we still believed in American exceptionalism, to where it was good that America was great. And by the way, I believe the world was better off when America was great and when America was more influential. Uh, when we were exceptional, I believe the world benefited from that. And uh, everything we did as Americans, we always strive to be the best at. Uh, I think about commercials growing up. There was always the Coke and Pepsi wars. Uh, I mean, we grew up drinking Coke. Uh, my dad will tell you, back then, uh, Michael Jackson uh, was the spokesperson for Pepsi. So my dad says, we're not going to drink Pepsi. Uh, we're going to drink Coke because Michael Jackson advertised uh, for Pepsi. There was always this war. Which one was going to be number one? Which one was going to be the best? Uh, you had McDonald's and Burger King. Okay, now, growing up, we were a Burger King family because my dad likes the Whopper. Uh, and we would eat McDonald's, but they were always in commercials fighting who was going to have America's best burger, all right? Uh, the Big Mac or the Whopper, and we can debate that after service if you want to. And, and then there was Ford and Chevy. Now, let's not quench the spirit right here by getting evil thoughts toward each other. I know that's a bad, a bad issue for some of you. And they're always trying to find out who was going to be America's number one truck. And it was amazing how they would always twist it to where they were telling the truth, uh, but it was just a different perspective. You know, America's number one mid-sized truck or America's number one utility truck, you know, under 978 pounds or something. They would always find a way to make their product number one. And yet I feel like we, we've gone to a place now in America where that's no longer the case. Uh, to where American exceptionalism is not something that we strive for anymore. As a matter of fact, we're even taught in some circles that we should be ashamed of American exceptionalism. We should apologize for being exceptional. I promise you, just about all of Europe is thankful that there was an exceptional America that was willing to step in and stand in for those that were weaker than us. I'm thankful for American exceptionalism, but now we've gotten to a place where that's not popular. And American exceptionalism is not something that we want to look forward to or build toward in our country. And I saw this illustrated the other day in a commercial by Popeye's Chicken. Okay? Now, I'm not picking on Popeye's. I, I'm a preacher. I like fried chicken. 
okay? That comes when, when I surrender to preach, something was imparted into my soul that I like fried chicken. My, my, usually my favorite food was nachos. I still like nachos, but something happened. You know, the Lord gives you a new heart. And the Old Testament says, give you a new, he gave me a new taste. Uh, and I love fried chicken, okay? Real chicken, real meat, not that stuff that pretends to be meat. But I saw this commercial the other day about Popeyes. At the end of the commercial, I saw something. I literally had to rewind the commercial and watch it again to make sure I saw what I saw. And sure enough, I did see that, and I took a screenshot that I want you to see. I have a picture of it here I want to see this morning. It was a commercial for Popeyes, and it said this, the almost number one best-selling shrimp in America. Now look, granted, I mean, I'm sure the shrimp is good, but come on. I could expect that in Europe, all right? The almost number one. You know, maybe another country, the almost number one, but the audacity to put on a commercial, the almost number one best-selling shrimp in America. I said, look, now that's not bad to have that moniker, but being almost anything is not something I would brag about. You know, when I played in sports, I didn't play for second place. They say second place is for the first loser, right? I didn't play for second place. I wanted to be the best that was out there. When I do something, I want to be number one at what I do. I don't want to be almost anything. And yet we've gotten to a place in America where almost has been accepted. I want you to think about this this morning. Imagine if Ford or Chevy had a commercial that says, we have the almost safest car on the road. Some of you are like, they already do. All right, don't get into it, not this morning, not in church. Y'all fight out in the parking lot, not in here, okay? What if McDonald's came out and says, we have almost the freshest food out there? What if this morning you're watching another commercial and it was for one of your doctors and it says, I almost passed medical school. <laughs> now, you, you think about how you're feeling right now. You're thinking, there's no way on earth. What if somebody was running for sheriff here in uh, Forest County and it says, I'll almost enforce the law. You're thinking, yeah, hey, that's good enough for me. I'm going to go to McDonald's in my Ford and I'm going to feel safe because the sheriff says he's almost going to take care of me. You know, that would not be acceptable to us. It would be unacceptable in America today if almost was the standard of living for all of us. We would not accept that from our doctors. We would not accept that in our food. We would not accept that in our vehicles. We would not accept that, or maybe we have to in our politicians. But for the most part, we would not accept almost in anything in our life. Why? Because we want the best. And yet here's the problem this morning. Almost is already the accepted, accepted standard when it comes to the things of God. Almost is already and has already become the accepted standard when it comes to the things of God. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I assure you that the majority of us, if not all of us, will almost do the will of God this week. We're not going to set out to do the best we can and to strive to be the best Christian we can. No, we're going to be okay if I almost do the will of God this week. Many of us will decide and have already decided, I'm almost going to be faithful to church today. We've already decided when we're going to come and when we're not going to come. Why? We've accepted the standard of almost. Uh, many of us, maybe you've almost gotten baptized. Maybe you've almost committed to Christ. You've almost decided to read your Bible. And yet we would not accept that in any other area of our life. And yet we accept it in our spiritual life. That almost is good enough. 
Instead of doing God's will, we've accepted this almost mentality. Now, can I tell you this morning, there's a lot of things you can almost do. The other day, I was at Fat Boy's Pizza. I know what you're thinking. You are what you eat. Yes. Fat Boy's has got a good pizza. I got to tell you that. And it's huge. It's 30 inches. It's 30 inches. It's huge. You can feed a whole family with that. And I was at a meeting at Fat Boy's Pizza the other day, and there was this guy and he was doing the two-foot challenge, a two-foot challenge. It's where they have a two-foot slice of pizza. If you can eat it in under seven minutes, you get a $75 gift card, a $75 gift card. I encourage, if you do it, I want you to tag, tag me on Facebook. I want to see it, okay? I want to see a video of it if you go do it. And there was this guy, he's smaller than I was, man, and he's over there eating on it, eating on it, eating on it, and he finished it in under seven minutes. And then there was this guy, he's a big old burly guy. And he started eating it, eating it, eating it. And a few minutes later, he looks up and he does like this, no more. He had about half of his pizza left. As a matter of fact, he had his hand to his mouth and he was running towards somewhere. I'm assuming it was the bathroom. He almost finished it. You know, you can afford to almost do a lot of things in life. But when it comes to the things of God, you cannot afford to almost do the will of God. Number one, you can't afford to almost get saved. Almost getting saved is all the way lost, all right? After you get saved, you can't afford to almost do the will of God. Why? Because the will of God's eternal. Eternity will be affected by whether or not we choose to be all in on the will of God, and yet we've accepted almost in our Christian life. And this morning, Agrippa is going to show us a little bit of what happens when we accept almost. That's the message this morning, accepting Almost, and let's try to learn from Agrippa just for a few minutes today on why we do not want to accept almost the will of God for our life. Look down, if you will, to verse number 28. Paul has preached, the message has been given, and he asks a question in verse 27. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou me the prophets? Here's Paul. He's preached Christ to him. Now watch this. I don't know, aside from Christ, that there was ever a greater preacher than Paul. And Paul has eloquently, concisely, and clearly presented Christ to Agrippa. And now he's asking him, the invitation's being given in 27. Don't you believe? I know you believe. I've, printed, uh, I, I've presented Christ to you. And Agrippa answers this in verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me. To be a Christian. Now, before we show you the dangers of what almost is, we need to identify exactly what it is. You know, many people this morning are all in in their head, but half in in their heart. You know, a lot of us would say, hey, are you all in on Christ? Absolutely. I got my bumper sticker. <laughs> hey, I got the central lapel bend. Hey, I got the rubber bracelet. Of course I'm all in. But I hate to tell you this morning, it's not just being all in in your head and with your mouth. It's being all in in your life. Now, the first thing I want you to see this morning is the attitude of almost. How do you know if you have the attitude of almost? What does it look like? Well, Agrippa heard the truth. Now, watch this. But he was hesitant to act on it. Okay? How do you know if you have the attitude of almost? It's when you hear the truth and you know the truth, and yet you are hesitant to act on the truth. That's how you know whether or not you have an attitude of almost. Accepting almost is being satisfied just knowing the will of God, but not doing the will of God. 
Now, can I ask you this morning, are you all in on Christ or are you almost for Christ? You say, I know the will of God. I've heard the will of God. I know the truth of God's word. But the question is, have we acted upon it? Here's Agrippa. He knows the truth. Paul's preached it to him. And yet he says, I am almost persuaded. I believe today, this is my opinion, that the overwhelming majority of born-again Christians are almost Christians. I don't mean they're almost saved. If you're saved, you're saved. If you're not, you're not. There's no middle ground there. But you're almost what you need to be. Why? How often do we hear the message preached? How often do we read the word of God? How often does the Holy Spirit stir our heart? By the way, isn't that wonderful? You ever just drive down the road and the Holy Spirit stir your heart about something? Or put a burden about something? And man, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you know what you need to do, but we don't act upon it. That's the attitude of almost. Now, can I tell you, if you're allowing what you're almost doing for Christ to comfort you, you're deceiving yourself. Why? What does James 1.22 say? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It says, if you hear it and know it, I mean, how often do we comfort ourselves? Man, man, I heard the message today, and boy, the Holy Spirit stepped on my toes or stepped on my heart. Whoo, man, I know what I need to do, and we comfort ourselves because we know it. Can I tell you, the job's not finished yet. The job's not finished until you act upon what you know, or else you simply have an attitude of almost. Back in 1995, it was October the 4th, 1995, Hurricane Opal roared on shore around the panhandle of Florida, Pensacola, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Uh, right at that same time, uh, the Lord called mom and dad to build the camp that we have in Jeff Davis County. Only problem is we didn't have any money or any wood. It's hard to build a camp without money or wood, okay? They didn't have any subsidies back then for stuff like that. And so they started praying about, you know, where are we going to get the money, where are we going to get the wood to build this thing? God called them to do it, where God guides he provides, all right? Now, I'm not telling you that God sent the hurricane just for the Andrews family, okay? Don't walk out of here thinking, man, Brother Jack's got a prayer life that he needed some wood. He just prayed a hurricane come through. There was wood everywhere. Literally, dad drove a 24-foot rider truck back and forth from Fort Walton Beach, Florida, every day for five days with loads and loads and loads of lumber. All those cabins at the camp, uh, the two-by-four stud walls are two-by-fours that were made out of two-by-eights. He just kept ripping them down, and that's how the camp was built. While we were out there collecting lumber, there were all these boats washed up on shore. I mean, houseboats, ski boats, I mean, just pontoon boats everywhere. They were all washed up in the woods. And while we're collecting the lumber, we're watching this company come along, and they had these tow ropes. And they would pull their boat up near the shore, and they would hook a tow rope to the boats that were on the sand and pull them out to the harbor and dock them again. And they were working for the insurance company. And so we watched them hook up to this boat, pull it out there in the, uh, in the harbor, and then pull it over to the dock. They would anchor, and they got paid for every boat that they pulled in. We were, we were on the backside of the sound one day, and we're collecting lumber or something out there. And uh, here comes this big boat, and they pull this large boat off the shore, and they're getting it out there in the harbor, and we noticed something. We noticed the further out of the harbor they got, the boat began to just do a low-riding thing going on. Now, look, you can do that in your cars. You can't do that in your boat, okay? Boats need to be above water or else you have a submarine, okay? Neat lesson there for you. So we watch this boat, and it just keeps going down and down. And I think, to my brother, I don't think it's supposed to do that. And next thing you know, they're out there, they're unhooking the ropes, and the boat goes down. 
and they lost it. Do you know, I don't think they got paid for that one. You say, well, wait a minute. They got it halfway back to the dock. Yeah, but they didn't finish the job. You say, hey, I want half my pay. Where's the boat? It's at the bottom of the harbor. Say, well, you didn't get it in the harbor. It doesn't matter. I got it halfway there. I'll promise you the insurance company didn't pay off on that one. All right? That's the way God thinks, by the way. You say, well, I heard the word. I heard the message. I was convicted about it. Boy, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me this morning. You shake the preacher's hand on the way out the door. But the question is, what did you do with it? What did you do with it? Too many of us today, listen, do you know why our homes are a wreck? Divorce rate in the church, 52 plus percent. Do you know why that's the case? Because we're almost Christians. We are saved. We hear the message, the preaching of the word of God, but we never apply it. We are hearers of the word, but not doers. We are almost Christians. We're just getting halfway. And I hate to tell you this morning, halfway doesn't count. Now, here's what I want you to notice about old Agrippa here. Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. It sounds to me like Agrippa's compelled, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like he's indifferent, like, man, you are a quack job. Matter of fact, that's what Festus called him. Look what Festus told him. Festus said, uh, look down, he said in verse number 24, Festus says, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He says, you've learned so much, you've lost your mind. All right? That's what indifference looks like. And yet Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me. He says, Paul, that's compelling. But hear me out. Being compelled without being committed is indifferent. And it's almost. There's a big difference this morning in you walking out of this building. Brother Nate said an hour or so, okay? He told me, hey, I set you up to preach long today. Thank you, Brother Nate. I appreciate that. And all of a sudden, that nice countenance you had just went, just died. Spirit was quenched. You may walk out of here today and say, man, I heard the message, man, the Holy Spirit dealt with my heart, and you were compelled by it. There's a big difference in being compelled and being committed. You heard it, but what did you do with it? If you don't do anything with it, you're an almost Christian. I want you to think about in the Old Testament today, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but the children of Israel. God led them out of the, uh, out of the bonds and the captivity of Egypt. But where did they have their trouble? Where did they have their trouble? Stick with me. They had their trouble about halfway. God brought them out, and man, they were compelled. They're like, we're out of here. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer making bricks. This is great. The Bible says they went out with a high hand. They're excited. I mean, look, you get set free. Maybe you've been in jail before. I don't know. I haven't been there yet. I'm sure probably will one day, but you get set free. You're compelled, man. This is exciting. Here was the problem. They were compelled, but they weren't committed. And by the way, the overwhelming majority of them died halfway. They died halfway. Honest opinion, most of our families are dying halfway. Our young people are dying halfway. You say, well, my young person's fine. They're healthy. Took them to the doctor today. I'm talking about spiritually. It's sad. Oh, it's a heartbreak. I told one of our parents this week, one of the most heartbreaking things in the world for me is to think that our young people would not find the will of God for their life. Heartbreak. Why? Because I found it. It's great. All right? I, I found the one God wanted for me. I found God's will, what he called me to do. There's nothing like that. And I want everybody to find that. But sadly, most will not. They're going to die halfway. They're going to be like a gripper. They're going to be indifferent to the will of God, not doing it, but just simply hearing it. The Laodiceans in the book of Revelation, what was their problem? What was their problem? 
He says, you're not hot and you're not cold. What did he say? You're lukewarm. What is lukewarm? It's halfway between hot and halfway between cold. It's almost hot and it's almost cold. What was God's response to that? Well, good job, Laodicea. At least you're a little bit warm. No. He says, I know thy works. Thou art neither, uh, neither cold or hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, that's not popular, and it's not politically correct, but it's true. The middle ground is unacceptable to God. Unacceptable to God. Halfway in, halfway out, compelled, not committed. We have a desire, but we haven't decided. God says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You make me sick is what God says. Now, folks, can I tell you, when God says something makes him sick, we ought to pay attention to that. Why? You don't want to make God sick. You don't want God to spew you out of his mouth. Says, I don't want to have anything to do with you because you got one leg in and one leg out, and I can't use somebody like that. He says, I would thou wert hot or cold. The reason almost should be unacceptable to us this morning is because it's unacceptable to God. Now, is it acceptable to the world? Absolutely. The world's okay with you being religious on Sunday as long as you are carnal Monday through Saturday. They're okay with that. They're okay. Hey, if you're halfway here and halfway there, they're fine with that. But oh, the world has a problem when you go all in on God. What do they do? They spew you out of their mouth. So the simple question is this morning, who are we going to make sick? you got to decide, am I going to make God sick by being half in and half out, or am I going to make the world sick by committing to God? Can I give you a hint? A little help here this morning. Freebie. You spend eternity with God. Somebody asked me, I was at a gas station the other day, I had an LSU uh, polo on. guy looked at me and he says, I'm assuming that's the only clean shirt you had. <laughs> but Lenny, I still have a flesh. <laughs> One day I'm going to learn how to properly throat punch somebody, but not today. I said, excuse me? He said, I'm assuming that's the only clean shirt you have. Music store. That's where it was. Molly was with me. And I says, well, I said, look, I didn't have a, a college team growing up. We really didn't pull for college teams growing up. But when I got married, I married a Louisiana girl, and they pull for LSU. And I go home with her. Therefore, I pull for LSU. I said, simple. I don't go home with you, Jack. I go with her. She's a lot better looking anyway. No, nice guy. He was a really cool guy. I really liked him. Look, you're going to spend eternity with God. He's not the one you want to make mad. Why don't you decide, I'm going to make this world mad. Look, they may not like me. They may push me out and call me to be an outcast. That's okay. I don't have to spend eternity with them. I have to spend eternity with God. Therefore, I refuse to be an almost Christian. I'm going to be all in with God. All in, listen, almost is not acceptable to God. Number one, it's not acceptable in salvation. Matthew 7, 22, the Bible says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Man, you got somebody doing all this churchy work? Surely they're getting close to being the kind of Christian they need to be, right? So they're almost there. No, no, no. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Almost is not good enough for salvation. Listen to me this morning. If you're almost saved, you're all the way lost. There is no half in or half out for salvation. But then number two, the attitude of almost is not good enough in service either. 
Matthew 25, 25, the Bible talks about the unprofitable servant. He says, I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. We know the story. He was given his talent. Rather than do something with what he was given, what did he do? He kept it, buried it. I knew what you gave me to work with, but I did nothing with it. But hey, here's, here, I still got it. He says, throw the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. You see, halfway was not good enough. I'm afraid the attitude, this attitude of almost has given us a very false sense of security. And the only thing that's making us secure is the world. It's not God. God's not happy about that. So notice the attitude of almost. Number two, look back down. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So here he is, has the best preacher in the world next to Christ, presented the truth to him, and yet he has the audacity to say, uh, no thank you. By the way, could we just throw in right here? It's not the preacher. It's not the preacher. Truth is truth, no matter who's preaching it. The question is what we do with it. So watch what he did. The question is why would Agrippa choose to miss out on what Paul was offering? Well, we need to understand Agrippa to understand why he did what he did. Number two, I want to show you the attraction of almost. What was the attraction of almost? You need to understand who this man is. When you understand who Agrippa is, you're going to understand why Agrippa did what he did. Give you a little backstory on who he is. Agrippa is part of the Herod family. He's a Herodian. All right? He was part of a long line of ruling dynasties called the Herods. Let me tell you who some of his family members were. His father, Agrippa I, was the one who executed James and imprisoned Peter. That's who his father was. Acts chapter 12, we read about his dad being the one who was eaten with worms because they said he spoke as a god and he swelled up with pride and the angel of the Lord smote him that he was eaten of worms. That's who his dad was. Do you know who his grandfather was? His grandfather was Herod the Great. Herod the Great, the one who spoke to the wise men and had all of the babies under the age of two slaughtered. That's who his grandfather was. Herod the Great, Agrippa I, and now here we have Agrippa II. He was a very influential king over Judea. But here's what's interesting. He also descended from Esau. He was an Edomite. This guy knew something about the Jews. He knew about Jewish culture. He was over the Jews. And so watch. He was over the Jews but under the Romans. It was the Romans who had appointed him to be over the Jews. Now why is all of that history lesson so important? Because as he stands there... Being presented with Christ, he has to decide which side he's going to be on. In order to accept Christ, by the way, who had Christ killed? Was it the Romans and the Jews? He knew he was over the Jews. He knew he was under the Romans. And the only way he could trust Christ was to walk away from all of that to receive Christ. And in the eyes of Agrippa, it was too much. Now stick with me. One group represented his popularity. He was very popular amongst the Jewish religious leaders of his day. Very popular. But also, he had great influence from the Romans who represented power. And if he were to receive Christ, he would have to walk away from popularity because the Jews hated Christ. He would have to walk away from the Romans who also hated Christ. And now he's in a bind. What do I do? 
In order to receive Christ, I have to walk away from popularity and I have to walk away from power and I'm accepting ridicule. And he saw that committing to Christ cost him too much. That's why he said almost. He says it's an attractive offer. Paul, you seem so passionate. I mean, he shares Christ's words in verse 14 through 18. Exactly what happened to him and his heart. Oh, don't you know the Holy Spirit stirring his heart? The Holy Spirit's churning the heart of Agrippa. You know what he says is true, but wait a minute. If I trust Christ, I have to give up on my my power, and I have to give up on my popularity. It's too much for me. You see, that's the attraction of almost. The reason we're noncommittal when it comes to Christ is because we know that commit to Christ, it's going to cost us something. You know what it cost us? The same thing it cost Agrippa. It's going to cost us popularity. It's also going to cost us some of our power. For years, I've done pre-marriage counseling, a lot of it. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, all right? And I remember I had a couple of young people in Louisiana who came in my office, man, they are in love, and they're going to get married. I said, great, love's great, marriage is great, you know? Let's talk this thing through. So we start talking, I'm talking about their teenagers, but they were in love, and so that's all that matters. And so they're sitting there, I said, okay, where do you work? Asked the young man. She was a college student. I said, where do you work? He says, well, I work at the local grocery store. Great grocery store. I said, what do you make? He told me what he made, and I says, okay, you do know that when you get married, you're going to get your own place, right? Oh, yeah, we get our own apartment. Great. Do you know how much rent is here? I shared with him how much rent was in Monroe, Louisiana at the time. We're talking about $850, $950 a month for an apartment. I said, all right, then you have uh, utilities. They're going to have to be this. uh, Do you have a car? No, he didn't have a car. I said, well, you're going to need one. But you're going to walk everywhere you go and carry your wife on your back. I'm sure she wouldn't mind, but just to be honest with you, that's not really an acceptable mode of transportation. So you got a car and you got insurance and all this. I said, do you like to eat? Oh, yeah. I said, here's, here's a ballpark grocery bill for two people. We started figuring it out. A few minutes later, he looks down and he says, I can't afford to get married. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> the sad thing is a lot of people don't realize that until after they get married. What? you got to have insurance. Yeah, and she, she likes to eat. Every once in a while, she wants to get those nails done. That's not cheap. You know, the jail refills and all that. That's not cheap. Man, I can't afford this commitment. I'm like, oh, I did my job as a pastor. Hey, I helped someone. They got married anyway. <laughs> they did. And divorced six months later. Six months later. We're just going to live on love. <laughs> Try putting some of that in your gas tank. Stand out there by your car, whispering sweet nothings into your gas tank. Not moving the needle. Call the power company. Hey, our lights are out. Could you turn them back on? Yeah, you need to pay this much. But I love you. They're going to laugh. Say, could you say that again? They're going to record it because they're going to share it with their friends. Commitment cost. It cost. Amen, husbands and wives? Commitment cost. And the reason we're not committed to Christ and we will probably be found when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back as an almost Christian, it's because we know commitment costs. It's going to cost me my friends. It's going to cost me my stature. It's going to cost me my popularity. It's going to cost me my power and my position. Nope, it's not worth it. I'd rather be in the middle almost. And down here, that'll work. 
But before God, I hate to tell you, it's not going to work. Matthew 16, 26. For what, what Bible says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So often the reason we refuse to turn to Christ is because we know what we're going to have to turn from. You know, that's what repentance is. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Not a work salvation. But in order to turn. So I turn to Christ. Okay, watch this. When you turn to Christ, you're automatically turning from something. And I've known too many people that I've shared the gospel with say, hey, don't you want to get saved? Just like Paul, I know that thou believest. No, I don't want to turn to Christ because I know the cost of what I'm going to have to turn from. And right now that sounds really good, but the Bible says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the saved this morning, Luke 9, so often we quote this verse, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Commitment to Christ cost. It costs you something. You're like, well, I'd rather be almost. Well, right now that sounds good, but I promise you it won't forever. Now, I want you to imagine the conflict inside of Agrippa's heart. He sits there. Festus is sitting here. His sister Bernice is sitting there. The Holy Spirit's chewing away at his heart. He's calling him. He's leading him. He says, I just can't. I just can't. It's going to cost me too much. Can I tell you, it's going to cost you way more if you don't. It's going to cost you way more if you don't. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said this. If you want God to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, then you should also expect the devil to open up the windows of hell and pour out opposition. And you will be caught in between the two. Do you know why we don't put our foot down on our kids? Because the opposition. That's why we don't put our foot down. We don't want the opposition. Well, you know what? I'd rather have my popularity. Can I tell you, I'm a parent. I like being popular with my kid. I do. That's why I buy her too much. Her mom's a good balance. She helps me out with that. I don't want to lose my kid's popularity. I want her to like me. I want to be best dad in the world. I know a lot of you got the shirt from Walmart too, but it was made for me. I want to be best dad in the world. Hey, that's who I want to be. But sometimes I got to put my foot down. And it's a whole lot more attractive just to be almost. You know what? Let's just let's not worry about taking a stand in that. That's why we're losing our homes. We're almost a godly husband. We're almost a godly wife. Why? Because we know in order to be all in with Christ, it's going to cost us something that we simply don't want to give up. This is why we're almost faithful to church. We're almost holy. We almost take a stand. We almost have godly kids. We're afraid of the confrontation of our culture. That's what Agrippa was dealing with. Agrippa says, the Romans will get mad. The Jews will get mad. I don't want to make anybody mad. Therefore, I'm just going to be somewhere in the middle. And oh, it cost him dearly, and it's costing us dearly, not taking that stand of being all in with Christ. The attraction of almost is simple. It's convenient. And it's less costly. But then I want you to see something real quickly. And Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and, now watch that next word, altogether such as I am except these bonds. What should Agrippa have done? Well, Paul uses that word altogether. 
Paul says, I wish you were all together as I am, except for the chains. <laughs> I love the fact he threw that in there. I love the fact that he says, you know what? I wish you had everything I had except for these chains. Paul gave him the third thing I want you to see this morning. That's the alternative to almost. The alternative to almost. What is it? Paul knew what was going on. He says, Agrippa, you have one foot in politics and you have one foot in popularity. He says, you need to be all in on Christ. He knew where he was torn. Could we be honest this morning? All of us are torn at times about committing to Christ because we know it's going to cost us. It may cost us our job. It may cost us our friends. It may cost us our lifestyle. That's why we're not all in on Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm afraid this morning, and hear this out and let it resonate. I'm afraid that indifference is just as dangerous as immorality. You say, well, man, we don't have any, any and no alcohol in our house. We don't, we don't do drugs. We don't do all of this. We don't watch any of that garbage on television. But are you indifferent toward the will of God in your home? Our children know, watch this, that's the danger of bringing your kids to church. They hear the preaching too. And they're like, but wait a minute, didn't the Bible say this? Not the preacher, but didn't the Bible say this? And hey, we're doing this at our house and our kids are so conflicted that they know the church we bring them to and they know what we teach and preach and they see you at home and they're like, oh, mom and dad are just almost. And then you begat almost children who learn to straddle the fence who learn to stay between the cultures and yet are unprofitable to the will and to the work of God. 1 Kings 18, 21, we know the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. What did he ask the people of God? Watch this. How long halt ye between two opinions? You see, they weren't sure if God was God or if Baal was God. And so they had taken this convenient position in the middle. They says, hey, we're almost for God. We're almost for Baal. We're just somewhere in the middle. And he says this to them. If the Lord be God, follow him. 1 Kings 18, 21. But if Baal, then follow him. He's saying straddling the fence never ends well. It never ends well. I think all of us have probably seen YouTube videos or America's Funniest video, videos of people who were getting in a boat. You ever seen that? And they have one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat. We all seen those. Maybe it was you. It could have been you in the video. I hope you won the money if it was. And they have one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. What usually happens? They don't end up on the dock or the boat. They end up in the water. It doesn't end well. You have to pick a side. Who am I going to stand with? Am I all in on the world or all in with Christ? And make up your mind because the trump of God's going to sound very soon. And you don't want to be standing in the middle. I was almost there. Almost, almost a winner is a loser. Amen? Joshua 24, 15 Joshua told the people, choose this day whom you will serve. He said, you've got to make a choice. The disciples, what did they have to do when Jesus called them? He says, he, says, uh, uh, if any man will, he tells them that, uh, gosh, it's lost my, my thought. He called them to be his disciples. And the Bible says straightway they left their nets and they what? Followed him. Now, the Bible says they went all in with Christ. They left them behind and they followed him. They didn't do both. And so, you know what, we're going to pack these nets with us, and we're going to take them just in case this Christ thing doesn't work out. No, they were all in. They were not almost. The alternative is to be all in with Christ. I read an interesting story this week. The story was about uh, the former Soviet Union, maybe going to be the new Soviet Union again. But this former Soviet Union, they had outlawed the preaching of the gospel. 
and they had sent soldiers from church to church to church to arrest the preachers who had been preaching the gospel. One day during a Sunday morning service, two soldiers walked in the door, and they said, all right, everyone's hands up. Hands went up. They said, okay, if you will renounce Christ, you can walk out right now. If you just renounce Christ, you can walk out right now. No harm will come to you. No harm will come to your family. Immediately, one by one, people begin filing out of the building. After a while, there's only 30% of those people left in that building. After they left, the soldier says, now close the door. They close the door. Put your hands down. He says, now let's get about our worship. He said, you see, we were members of the, uh, the army sent to arrest people in this other town, and we found out the good news of the gospel and trusted Christ ourselves. And so now we come over here, and we're helping you. And here's what they said. Only those who are willing to die for their faith can be trusted to live out their faith. And they said, let's have church. Let's have church. Here's what they were saying. It was only those that were all in that were going to do anything for God. Those who were only in while it was convenient, they could just go on back to the house. Now, God forbid someone walks in this door today. But I pray I'd be one who is all in. I pray you'd be all in. Why? Because the alternative is what Paul said, I wish thou were all together, all together. Now, I'm going to give you a bonus point this morning because you've been so nice, but it's a quick one. The last thing I want you to see is the aftermath of almost. What was the aftermath? Was well, best we can tell, Agrippa missed it. He missed it. Rather than be committed to Christ, he decided to be almost and he missed it. Now, I want you to think about something. If Agrippa never trusted Christ, according to the word of God, he's in hell at this very moment. I wonder how many times a day the word almost crosses his mind. Almost. I was that close. I was that close. The apostle Paul preached the word of God to me. I heard Christ. Holy Spirit dealt with me. And I was almost there. And for all eternity, Agrippa has to have that word almost echo in his heart and his mind. The aftermath of almost is frightening. It's frightening. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you're not sure that if you died, you would go to heaven. He said, well, you know what? I think I am. I prayed a prayer. If, look, if you've got a 1% doubt, I'd get that nailed down today. Because eternity is a long time. To live with that word almost echoing in your mind. He said, well, people might laugh at me. No, they're not. I promise you. Look, you know you have the little angels on your shoulder? Y'all have them too? Or maybe not. Maybe I'm the only one that has. No. We've seen it before, the little angels on our shoulder. It's not the little angel in the robe telling you that. It's the one with the pitchfork telling you that. Well, people think I'm already saved and I come down to somebody's going to say something. If somebody says something, you point them out to me and I will throat punch them. All right? Everybody in this room would be excited if somebody trusted Christ this morning, decided I'm not going to be almost anymore. I'm going to be all in and all together with Christ because the trump of God sounds. I don't want to be found straddling the fence because almost saved is all the way lost. You need to know, the Bible says, 1 John 3, the Bible says these things are written that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that today. You don't have to be stuck with almost, and I hope so. And every time it thunders, you're worried that it, something comes through with a storm, you're going to die. Oh, you're going to have peace this morning. Almost is not worth it. 
Maybe this morning you're saved. For too long, you've been almost committed. Almost committed, almost faithful, almost stood, almost did right. Why don't you decide this morning, I'm not going to accept almost anymore. Just foolish. I'm not going to accept being almost the best that I can be. No, I want to be all together and all in for Christ. I'll promise you, he can use all of you way better than you can use any of you. But you've got to choose to be all in and all together with Christ. I read a story last night. It's an amazing story. I hope it's true. If not, the story illustration is still the same. Years ago at a church in Europe, I believe in the 1840s, a church organist was in there practicing ahead of Sunday service. As she played the organ, she was approached by a scraggly man, walked in the back with obviously a physical uh, impairment, had a long beard. He was kind of hunched over, looked very, very unkept. He walked up and he asked the lady, he says, excuse me, would you mind if I... I played for a few moments. I'd love to just play for a few moments. She looked at him and said, sir, I, I don't know that we can allow that. You know, people just walking off the street and play the organ and uh, just, it's, just, it's just not going to be a convenient time. He says, ma'am, I beg you, would you please allow me to play just, just for a little while? She says, I will give you two minutes. She thought if she gave him a short time, it wouldn't take him long. He quit and he would leave. He sat down at the piano or the organ and began to play. And as his fingers danced across the keys, it was the most beautiful melody she had ever heard. When he was done, he stood up and he walked out the door. As he got to the back of the door, she hollered out to him, I must know your name. Who are you? He turned around, looked over his shoulder. He says, my name is Felix Mendelssohn, the composer of the overture to a Midsummer Night's Dream. He walked out the door. He had fallen ill, had a couple of strokes, was not who he used to be, but wanted to play just one more time. Here was her quote after he left the room. I almost did not let the master play. I almost did not let the master play. I wonder this morning that Holy Spirit has approached you and he's tugging at your heart. He says, let me have control. Let me play. I can take your life, and I can make a beautiful song. You're thinking, but I'm looking at the Holy Spirit. They can know you don't know what you're doing. Oh, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And don't be one of the ones who walks out of here today saying, you know what? I almost let the master play. Why don't you decide this morning I'm going to be all in? Can I ask you, have you accepted almost? Are you almost saved? Are you almost faithful? Are you almost obedient? Why don't you decide this morning, no, 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 no. I'm going to be all in and all together with Christ. Let's stand together this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.